Jacques Howard, I'm on location at Westminster Presbyterian Church, which is located in the East Ward, and I'm with East Ward City Council candidate Taiwanda Terry Wilson. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you for a couple of minutes of your time. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. And uh, I want to say that you're the first candidate that I'm sitting down with who has almost a, a dossier or a binder <laughs> full of information. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Um, so what I'd like you to do is just share a little bit about who you are. Um, I also want to preface this by saying that as, as you came in, you met a couple of people here who worship at Westminster, mm -hmm. who know you personally, mm -hmm. and uh, I've learned something more about you as well, and we'll get into that also. Mm -hmm. But let's just talk a little bit about who you are as a person. Sure. So my name is Tywanda Terry Wilson, as you stated. I am a lifelong City of Trenton resident. Um, I actually grew up right here in this specific portion of Eastwood. I grew up on the 800 block of Walnut Avenue. Um, my mother still lives there. Um, as I grew up, I moved over into Villa Park. Um, I've been living in Villa Park with my husband and three children for the past 20 years. And um, I've always been involved. One of the things that people may not know about me is um, uh, the P.J. Hill School, the new annex that was built, the Watson-Johnson annex. Mm -hmm. Well, I was part of the PTA. I was a chosen parent to speak at the um, dedication of the building for Mr. Watson. And we're going back. I had to have been no more than 19 or 20 years old. So I've always been active and involved inside um, the community and inside um, PTAs and education. Hmm. Okay, so let's stick with that for a little bit. First, sure. um, sort of, I'm going to go into uh, uh, where you initially started. You're a lifelong Trentonian, mm -hmm. um, and you said you grew up on the 800 block of Walnut. Right. In the section, air quotes. Right. And most people who know Trenton mm -hmm. know of the Wilbur section. Right. Um, um, it's, at one time, very thriving community, very resilient um, has had some challenges recently, um, some safety concerns. Um, can you just talk about that a bit? Sure. I do as much as I can because the section that I grew in, grew up in is actually in between Olden Avenue and uh, so Garfield and Cleveland. So not many people knew that that area of Walnut existed. Mm -hmm. And a funny story is my parents were very strict. So we weren't allowed <laughs> to get off the porch. <laughs> like uh, you, you would have to, we had like a concrete, um, uh, I guess steps, right? And so we used to have to play four corners. It's four of us, myself, and I have three brothers, a total of three brothers and sisters to make four. And we would have to sit on the porch. And when we got off the porch, we couldn't go from one little corner to the other corner. And we would play four squares with a kickball. So I had a very, you know, it was a very um, restricted childhood, but it was full of love and it was full of caring and it was full of citizenship. And my parents also started the. Uh, what is it, the Walnut and Cleveland Avenue Civic Association. So I've been doing this so as far as I can remember. Right. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm also glad that you brought that up because okay. I think, oh, no, because I think oftentimes people can hear of a troubled neighborhood and immediately a blanket statement comes out mm -hmm. about that particular neighborhood. And we're seeing it on a larger scale. Um, that Trenton, all Trenton. It's right. so bad. Right. But you've done very well for yourself. Um, you've got uh, grown children, spouse. You're still living um, relatively close to the neighborhood mm -hmm. that you grew up in. And your parents did well, mm -hmm. obviously. You've done well. Mm -hmm. Can you just talk about some of those challenges um, that may have happened or are happening in the Wilbur section, but not specifically as to where you grew up? 
Sure, sure. So we'll go back and we'll finish what um, you wanted to hear about the Wilbur section. Mm -hmm. So when I grew up, it was a very tight-knit community. We all knew our neighbors. Um, if you did something wrong, you got it from the time the neighbor saw you until your parent got home and then they told you again. So I'm from a neighborhood where we work together, we stick together, we watch out for one another. And those are some of the values that were instilled in me growing up. You know, you love people, you treat people how you want them to be treated, and you respect yourself and you have dignity and you have pride for your neighborhood. So those are the things that kind of just naturally segue into my natural um, desire to continue to give back. Um, but, I mean, we used to play double dutch on the corners, you, you know. Um, well, like I said, I lived on the corner in between. That little segment, if people are mm -hmm. listening, they know what I'm talking about. You know, we used to uh, categorize it by Ms. Lee's house and Ms. Robinson's house. So Ms. Lee's house stopped where that little alleyway is that takes you to Garfield Park. Excuse, got <coughs> Cleveland app. So on that corner, on the same side of the street, we used to, you know, play double dutch in them little four corners, or play kickball, or what have you. So I mean, we were we didn't know any better. We didn't. We had it was still a really good, safe, clean com community. Mm -hmm. you know. And I've, as I've grown, um, <coughs> I've met several people um, who have lived in the Wilbur section for decades, and they often say the same thing that you did: mm -hmm. that it was a close knit community, a lot of respect. Um, children were loved. Um, in your mind, what do you think causes uh, things to happen for sections of a of a neighborhood or blocks on a particular street to to have difficulty, like some sections of Wilbur Section have now? Sure, I would have to believe that the introduction of drugs into our community. I have a very vivid memory memory of sitting inside PJ Hill School. I had to be in like the fourth or fifth grade, maybe even third grade. And the teacher came in and they were telling us, you know, if your parents hit you, you have a right to call Dyfus. So that's one of the memories that sticks out in my mind where children used, where parents had the right to raise their children, whether you speak to them, whether you do a spanking or whether you do whatever. Parents used to be able to guide their children, nurture them, discipline their children. And then at some point, the state kind of came in and told children that they had more rights than their parents. Now, I'm not for or against. I think that each individual household and each independent, each individual parenting style determines what's abuse and what's not abuse, meaning if you're being abused, you kind of know the difference versus whether you're being disciplined or you're being loved with construction. Const you know. So at any rate, um, I would have to say I saw a immediate um, change in the respect that children were getting and receiving to parents. So you used to be able to go to school, you used to be able to come home and talk to your parent and the parents and the teachers gonna be on one accord. At some point when you start giving children more authority than they know how to manage, it can kind of make them think that they're in control and that they don't have to necessarily listen to adults. So I kind of thought that I saw where children started to use that and say, well, you can't tell me what to do. And I've seen that trickle into my neighborhood. Mm. Um, where they were no longer afraid of even teachers. They were no longer afraid of the parent next door because you can't tell me what to do. You can't hit me. You can't touch me. And then that, um, in conjunction with the crack ep epidemic, because I can remember where people would consider certain people poor if you lived in a certain neighborhood, but that wasn't the case because you were rich in spirit. You were rich in pride. You were rich in dignity. You were rich in love. You were rich in community. And so when the crack epidemic hit and people started to maybe indulge or sell. And, and I, I never at that point 
not seen a mother take interest in a child. But if you have an addiction, in my opinion, from what I saw, how I saw my community begin to divide, like in the 80s and 90s, you know, people started to not necessarily have the time because they were indulging in certain behaviors. Mm -hmm. Some parents, not all. We got to always say not, you know. And then you had that um, in conjunction with the war on drugs, which took our fathers out of our homes and, you know, locked them up and incarcerated. And then you have children raising children or children being raised by their grandparents, still with the same love. But now you have a combination of an absentee mother, a child who may or may not believe that someone doesn't care for them because mm -hmm. they're being told, how do I show love if I'm out here being addicted? And then you have a father who may or may not be in the home now because they're incarcerated. And then that just left a void, in my opinion. I mean, it's subjective, but those are things that I would see it from my eyes, you know. Then you have grandparents trying to raise children who are at a whole nother level because they no longer just say, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. Mm -hmm. and that's pretty in-depth, and I... Regardless of how your candidacy goes, I'd love to chat with you more okay. about that because I think um, it's important for people to understand from residents who lived through a particular um, generation of, of, of things to hear from them. And I'd love to sit down and chat with you more about mm -hmm. that. I mean, yeah. you were very specific and, and it's interesting to yeah. point all those different things out. They called us Generation X. I have a very mm -hmm. vivid memory. So, you know, and I just, even then as a child, but we'll go on because I'll go on forever, you know. But as a child, it, I mean, some things just stand out in your mind. Like when you, somebody tells you you're Generation X, even at then I'm like, Generation X? Well, X doesn't define anything. Well, now here we are. We're seeing what exactly happened. We move different variables, in my opinion, anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and and let's just, uh, one more question just to, to stick along with that. So the 80s and 90s, um, mm -hmm. when you pointed out that you actually saw this and you can recognize when it was happening, um, it's been almost 30 years. Mm -hmm. And the Wilbur section, um, the neighborhood where you grew up, is still very challenged. Um, what does that mean to you and um, why? I would have to say you have a generation who lost who mm -hmm. lost themselves they don't there was no direction so if i don't know then i can't teach and we're dealing with children who should now be in their 20s and 30s and i think in my opinion that's what we're seeing we're seeing their children you know even my children who are 18 i don't think i gave their ages 27 18 27 25 and 17 and the way I raise my household is if I see you doing something wrong or if you're out in front of my street, you're maybe making noise or you're being disrespectful, I'll go out and say, well, hey, you know, politely, can you quiet down? And my children will say, well, mom, you can't say that to people. Look at the ages. Mm -hmm. But you are supposed to be, see, but it's, it was a difference. See, in my, me coming up, you were able to say that and they would say, well, I'm sorry, and they would apologize. My children understood. And even though they were brought up to be respectful, they knew that it's not safe for me to say certain things to certain people. Well, if no adult, it's going to correct a person that doesn't know. What do you have? You have a whole pop generation of people who don't know. Mm -hmm. Great. You know. Okay. Um, sticking with um, specifically the East Ward, of course, um, what are some of the other areas of concern that you have and things that you'd like to address in mm -hmm. the East Ward? Mm -hmm. So I see um, that we have a pop we have a whole lot of renters who are, I mean, I'm sorry, we have homeowners who are older mm -hmm. and they have brought concerns consistently about not being able to park in front of their homes because we have a lot of commercial vehicles that are parked on our street. And I know that's the case because under my tenure as the 
uh, president of Villa Park Civic Association, we were combating that over at Villa Park um, because we had a lot of new people moving to our neighborhood, which we welcome, but a lot of them were commercial um, business owners and they would bring their commercial vehicles and park them in front of our home, but we already had permit parking. So uh, permit parking or residential parking is an issue. Mm -hmm. And I can understand that because of your elder, or I'm sorry, if you're older, and you're coming home late at night and the streets aren't as safe as they were, I can understand the fear. And not only that, we have ordinances that are already in place that should be enforced to deal with that. You know, if you're a homeowner, the least we could do is respect what the rules are on the books and enforce them so that we can have some type of quality of life. And I think that's the most basic thing we could do. So that's one. Mm-hmm. Education is always an issue. So, you know, we have our schools, which are failing and they're being underfunded systematically. And so we don't have if we're, we don't have the tools that are necessary to teach our children. Mm-hmm. And so if um, so, I think the studies show not I think I know that studies show if you can't read by the age of um, by the third grade, then you know they automatically can tell what type of lifestyle you're going to have if that's going to be in the prison system mm-hmm. or if it's going to be continuing education. So I think that we have to feed our children because they are our future, and I think that education matters. So I think the quality of our schools are an issue. And let me be really clear. I don't think that it's the teachers that are the issue. I think that when we have principals that consistently change hands, and I think that when we have the governor not properly funding the school and starving them out, I think when we have charters which come in and they open and um, they <clears throat> pick our best and brightest students, and then when this child excuse me, when the charter schools lose their charter, these children come back into the district, but we no longer have the space or the monies because the monies follow the student. And I'm probably giving you a lot of information, Mm -hmm. but um, so I think education, um, the quality of life is always an issue. If you're, um, my husband and I, we do a lot of traveling and sometimes we'll just ride around, maybe Ewing, Lawrence, Princeton, whatever, take a Saturday drive and come home. And as we start to come back home, every time we hit Greenwood Avenue, we go from being, you know, feeling high to, you know, feeling low because you just come back into the, the, the decay of the city. Like there, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So I want to go back to a couple of things that you mentioned. Um, one of them was, was about parking. And, um, so the ordinance that we have on the books is that there's no commercial vehicles uh, to be parked on public streets. In your opinion, why is that being done and that ordinance not being enforced? Mm-hmm. And is that something that you'll address? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's something that I will address. I will readdress it. And under my tenureship as the president of the Villa Park Association, I was actually told, well, you know what? We don't want to harm people. People are trying to make a living. And I said, wow, that's different. Because when I bought my house on Riviera Avenue, my husband and I had an engagement party. And somebody called the cops on us because my my friends and family, and we're not rowdy people, were in front of our house going back to their cars. It was a different neighborhood than it was still mixed with Italian and, you know, Caucasian. And we were in a black family, one of the black families that moved in. So I just see how we police differently or how we have separate standards. And that's always a problem for me. I like standards to be across the board, to be uniform, because that is how we create a standard of living, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And that dovetails nicely with the idea of quality of life. Um, so with, with the education, um, you're, as a city council member, um, as far as what city council can do um, mm-hmm. with the Board of Education and with uh, education in general, um, there's some limits there. Yeah. Um, how will you, if elected, will encourage um, city council um, 
focusing on education and, and what the parameters are? Mm -hmm. Sure, that's a good question. So I will continue to liaison with the rest of the city council members because as an education advocate and as a parent, I've already established relationships and I've already gone before city council to um, ask for assistance when we felt like there was no place to go because the proper, and I like to educate too, right? So the proper system, a lot of our, a lot of residents don't know, and they shouldn't have to know because if you're an elected official, it's our job to get the work done for the, for the residents. But a lot of times people don't understand the proper protocol is the teacher, the principal, the board of education, you know, your superintendent, and then the department of education. So what city council can do is very limited. We do assign a line item in our budget to the school system. So what I can do as a council person is review that line item budget, see what we are allocating funds for. I don't think that we'll be able to stipulate how they use it, but we can surely ask questions when the school district um, itemizes their budget. We can see how they spent that money and maybe we can try to guide them into making sure that it's spent effectively and efficiently in reaching the students. Great. Um, what is going well in the East Ward? Wow, what is going well in the East Ward? There are a lot of things that are going well in the East Ward. We have, um, oh wow, let's see. We have our civic association. <laughs> Villa Park has a civic association that meets the first Wednesday of every single month. Um, the CPAC meets under uh, Ophelia Adderley, which is here um, in this neighborhood, Greenwood Kyler. They meet every single month. Um, we have the Greg Grant Park on East State Street that houses the, uh, not houses, it hosts um, basketball games in the summertime. Mm -hmm. We have the um, Martin House on um, East State Street, which um, is after school program, tutoring, and they also have activities for the students. We have our Mind in Our Business organization that goes into um, PJ Hill School and holds their um, forum and it celebrates the students. Oh, how can I forget Hedgepeth Williams Middle School? My favorite principal of all times, Ms. Adrienne Hill, she has a phenomenal um, dance, um, you know, does dance program over at the high school because it's now the uh, School of the Arts. So there are a whole lot of beautiful things that we have going on in the East Ward that I'm very proud of. Mm, that's yeah. great. Sorry, guys, whoever I didn't mention, but it's so many. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so at this point, um, we're going to stop uh, the first segment. We've been running for about 18 minutes, okay. and then we'll come back in the second segment and get into some other things, okay? okay. I'm speaking with a Taiwanda, Terry Wilson, and we're, <laughs> she is a candidate for the East Ward City Council in the forthcoming Trenton, New Jersey election. Thank <laughs> you.